What was he going to do? Beat I, you up? I actually think it is the Cork accent. I'm not going to lie. I, like, there is something about the Cork accent that makes it the most intimidating accent, accent of the 32 counties in Ireland, I think. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's Keith Wood, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. You sent me a text yesterday about the uh, changes coming in uh, Rugby League, Super League. Um, was this like a, a thing that to signify that these are problems that every sport is having around relegation and finance? Or was it a, mm, this might be a way out of rugby's uh, problems? Well, it was a little bit of both, actually. I look. I looked at it, and I was interested in some of the terminology that was used, which we haven't we haven't kind of heard as much here. Which was, well, first we need to figure out how many games we want the players to play, and then we need to incorporate having um, with the Super League Cup and the uh, international matches into it. And that just seemed like a, a almost like a different way of looking at, at rugby union, the mind rugby league. And I know rugby league is far less uh, complicated in terms of the, that it isn't a huge international game. They're big games when they happen, but it isn't central to the funding model. Um, and rugby league have gone onto a strategic partnership with IMG to try and see uh, if they can maximise it. And for me, I just like the uh, it's it's the concept. It's it's how you think, not what you think. And it's that idea that um, you could stop and take a breath and say, okay, can we get something that's really fit for purpose? Yeah. I mean, it's it's largely what we were talking about um, at the start of COVID when we were doing these deep dives on what the future of the game should be about. And at one point, we I remember being, us being particularly optimistic that it's it felt like the mood music was suggesting that there was going to be a global calendar agreed. And then whatever happened, that all just disappeared. And we've been left with the dog's dinner that we have at the moment. Yeah, like dog's dinner is is a tough way of looking at it, but it seems like an expanded version of the game from, um, you know, from pre-professional. And uh, there's a constant drive to make rugby bigger. Um, and I think too often we try and follow what soccer is as a, a global sport and try to follow and presume that you're going to get the same number of people to go and watch it. But Rugby's complicated and is made increasingly complicated by law changes. And they're all made for the right reason. But um, at some stage, you'd say, God, we'd never really have this. Would we start some other way? You know, and I, so I look, I look at it. I go back to my, my first year in, in, in the Ireland squad, which was in 92, um, which was a very different time, but we had, it was five nations, so you had four matches in, in the spring. You um, had a summer tour, not every year, but most years you might have one or two matches, international matches then, and you might have one autumn international, maybe two. Now that's gone to 10 or 12 all the time. The games have become infinitely harder, more physical. The game, not always is better, but some of it is just phenomenal. So we saw in the summer that the game can be magnificent so that's not a dog's dinner but um but it's the constant toll that seems to be taking and the extension of the of the year to being the bones of 52 weeks of the year i mean there's it's it's relenting so let's let's layer in now uh, a global club world cup on top of the situation that we have at the moment and say no you're going to have the same 
available players and actually you're going to have fewer available players because finances are coming down we're seeing the, the club game in England on the verge of collapse with a couple of badly run clubs perhaps having a knock-on impact on everything else you know it, it's um, yeah, I, yeah I don't know that it's necessarily badly run as in clubs I think as a model in, in England in particular um, it runs at a loss all of us so every team pretty much runs at a loss. I think Exeter um, hit, uh, hit positive a couple of times a few years ago, but um, their owner put 16 million into them in the last couple of years, I think was the number. Um, you know, it requires a huge amount of money to keep going. And there's a level, a high level of frustration that um, you promote players to play for England and then they don't get to play for their club often enough. And there's a frustration for that. So, I think the idea of making that league either smaller or having less games in it, be that two pools of eight or whatever way you do it, makes an awful lot of sense because it then means that the top players can be seen to play for the club. I mean, I think if you put it to the soccer view and if you said that if you were playing international um, soccer and you couldn't then play for Man United... I think Man United fans would be pretty upset, you know, and I think that that's the nature of it. And it's, it's trying to find some level of a balance in the game and the balance just isn't there yet because of the pressures that they're under. So I would, you know, I'm, I think there's elements of blame and fault, but actually the reality of this is that the amount of money that's available for the game is very large in France. It's pretty large in the UK and it's still not making money. And it's decent in Ireland because of the structure that we have with the IRFU. Um, but elsewhere, it's very vulnerable, you know. So, you know, you have to try and make certain that you're you're getting your top players being being seen and playing, and maybe not playing them too much. So, look, I I think at the start of COVID, we said that yeah, this was a chance. This could be an inflection point for the history of the game as to how it could change and become fully sustainable. So, it has to be sustainable financially. It also has to be sustainable for for its players and, and people. Um, and I think the harsh reality of of commercialism and finance and the knock-on effect that COVID had has maybe accelerated the pressure that all these clubs and the game is under. Keith, it's interesting as well, even away from the professional game. Like there was, I was reading a good piece in the, uh, I think it was in the Times this morning from uh, from Owen Slot. Diehards might not like it, but this change could save the sport. He was talking about uh, community clubs as opposed to professional clubs in, in England. Um, I guess being instructed potentially by the RFU to introduce different forms of rugby, whether it be touch rugby or walking rugby, to offer alternatives to the to the fifteen game game. Um, like, what, what's your take on that? Like, I know it's probably it's not an identity crisis for rugby in England, but it's an it's an important question to be answered over here as well. Keeping people at a community level involved in rugby and interested, I guess. Look, I've been a fan of that for for years. I mean, and, and I know we discussed that in the past and. Um, I think rugby is an incredible game. Actually, touch rugby would have been the start and end of the vast majority of the training sessions we did over in Quinns um, back in the day. And it, there's a bit of joy and fun in that without the hefty contact. So I do think more people will get into it. It's uh, like some of the tag rugby I was never quite fan of because it was a bit different. You have a different movement to, to touch rugby. But actually, if you get yourself into a position where you have this absolute skills-based handling element, I think that is essential. I, I've also been keen on having some of the changes between 
law changes that happen at, at professional rugby not necessarily having to be put into the community game. I do think that there's elements of those things that can be taught after the fact if needed and if players progress up to the professional game. And I know that makes it a little bit hard, but I don't think that that's I don't think that's a problem. I think you want people to play it and enjoy it and be safe doing so. And um, but we and if we do want more people playing, I, I think if you have people playing touch rugby, I think they still get every part of the rugby apart from the the big smashing, you know. And you know, we think that the big smashing is a bit of an issue at the moment. The actual performance on the pitch. Let's start with Munster. Uh, it's been a slow start to the season. I mean, I made the point that I don't think we should get too carried away just yet. And at the same time, um, there's always a little, a little kind of uh, bit of concern when you lose your two games, and you're the team that is the one that gets beaten for the first time in a decade, and uh, lets the opposition win their first game in 18 months or however long it was. So, uh, Dragons was one of those performances that. Doesn't look good on the record books, but at the same time, the players, are, the main players, are just back. It was the first time that many of them were getting any game time. Should we be concerned yet? Um, I think you, you you should be concerned over the performance. Um, how concerned we'll, we'll see in the next few weeks, actually. And look, I think there's a change happening there. I think they're working unbelievably hard, from what I hear. Um, Training wise, it is incredibly incredibly taxing and whether it's the fact that they may have taken um, a couple of these games for granted and always presumed that they were going to get the win and you know sometimes that can 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 leak in and especially if you're pushing it very hard I think Munster are trying to make a change and, and we're not seeing it enough but what we are seeing is a little bit of a lack of certainty uh, for the players on the field because of the change Um I just noticed uh, uh, in the Dragons game, like, like I thought Ben Healy played pretty well, but he also played quite deep because they're trying to make certain that they get the ball through the hands enough, but they became a little bit lateral with it. And that just takes time. And I think once you get all the players uh, on the one page, once they get sharp enough from their training, um, I still think there'll be hiccups during the season, but I do think that that change will take a period of time to go. So, Am I worried looking at it? No, I was just disappointed watching the performance. I thought it was poor. Um, uh, I thought the handling was poor. I thought the discipline was poor. You know, and they need to sort those things out. And there are things that can be sorted out pretty quickly. The the only issue is you see these as a couple of easier games. Um, this game coming up at the weekend would be considered an easier game. And then you have a flurry of really tough games. So... Yeah, I think it's hard. It's a very hard start when you don't get those wins. And I think Munster might have relied on the fact that actually if they got three wins off at the start, they could deal with some of the tougher games as they came along. But look, I still see there is a bit of progression, though at times they drift back into old habits, but it'll take a while to move on. That's the thing, isn't it? That actually what we're trying to do is is uh, see the trends evolving that we're going to hopefully uh, witness over the next 12 months, 24 months, 36 months that this isn't going to be a oh, a, a, a flitch, a switch has been flicked and all of a sudden Munster are the finished article. It doesn't work like that in sports. No, no, it doesn't. And it doesn't work from for a side that pretty much kicked all its possession last year, you know. So um, you're trying to make a change in that. It's going away from things that have been almost bred into the team for the last period of time. And like, there's lots of say, comments of people would say that that's the way Munster always played. It, it wasn't. And, and Munster often integrated well. It's trying to get that balance right. And the balance for me has been wrong for the last while. I just thought it was 
too conservative too often. So you're now stuck in that mindset. It takes a while to get out of it. So I think it's a tough job for, for, for Graham Roundtree. And it's tough when you have an expectation that players will react quickly. Um, I think they are trying to react, actually. But I just don't think that the, I won't say attitude, but the the attention to that detail under pressure is good enough. So I think Munster will be under pressure for a while. Um, but I would expect them to dig themselves out of it. I don't know what that means but I don't know whether that means for this year or for the next year. But I look, it's the start of a change. And that's something that's, that's look, we've all said it's been needed. I saw Donnick O'Callaghan uh, at one point, Keith, after the game saying, you know, you, you really have to blame players and you can't always go to the coaching ticket after a performance like that of Munsters last weekend. Um, and even just funnily reading that in, in this morning's paper, one of the papers had uh, a reference to the Tuesday morning murder ball in, in, in Munster trainings under, you know, Declan Kidney and Axel Foley, where after a poor performance, there used to be a, a wake up call, uh, let's say, after the weekend. So how do players in this Munster team be, be made aware that, that last, last last week's performance wasn't acceptable like it, does there have to be a I guess a kick up the ass in training this week or what way would, would you approach it no, I don't think there has to be do you, do you honestly think any player doesn't know when they haven't played well or a team doesn't know when they haven't played well there isn't a head in the sand idea um, I think it becomes difficult for at different times when you're making a big change as to wanting to do something and then falling back into times past and even if you look at um, Ireland under Andy Farrell after Joe Schmidt it took a period of time for a lot of those things to happen and actually Ireland played in the same manner as they did under Joe Schmidt for about seven or eight games and it took a while for that to change it takes time and um, but I, look I think the players are fully aware and, and the players want to win and they want to be excited by it and um it's just, it's been slow. I mean, it's frustrating for fans, frustrating for all of us, you know, watching because you want to you want to see them play well. But I think it takes a long period of time. And actually, if I was to give a better uh, idea, and I know it's done for different reasons and done in a different way, but when you look at the way Ulster have progressed over the last number of years and you look at the manner in which they're playing now, they couldn't do that a few years ago. Now, you might have said they didn't have the players and maybe they had to develop players to be that way. That could be the case for Munster as well. But you watch Ulster playing today and they're a joy to watch. Yeah, so and that has to be a, a part of the template for Munster into the future. One of the other templates, obviously, is, is what's happened at, at um, Leinster. Lancaster's going, that's been confirmed you know, I think nobody at Leinster or a Leinster supporters or even an Irish rugby will begrudge him the opportunity to go and be the lead at a club like Racing. He absolutely deserves that opportunity. For Leinster, what kind of an opportunity is this? Where should they be looking for the next Stuart Lancaster? Should they be looking internally to promote somebody and say, right, that's the opportunity for anybody who's involved in our coaching team now? Or should they be looking globally and saying... This is an opportunity for us to get another world-class coach to come in and again change the course of Leinster's future. Um, I think they should be doing both. Um, and that's not sitting on the fence. I think they need to look at all their options. I think they're in a very strong position, the strongest position of any side in Ireland, in that they have an incredibly uh, well-honed, talented group of players with a steady stream of talent coming through the school system, uh, a lot of which the players are playing for Ireland. But there is... A huge amount of strength and depth. So when those players drift off, the squad that the new coach will will, will coach will be like a lot of them are internationalists as well. So uh, I think it's a, a plum job. And I, look, when they went and and went for for Lancaster, 
you know, he was persona non grata. Um, the fact that Leinster searched him out um, with Leo Cullen, with Johnny Sexton, having conversations with him, I think they gauged him as a as a as a guy first. I mean, I don't know Stuart very well, but I've you know I've met him a, a good few times, and we've had some pretty decent conversations over his mindset. He was he was hurt and pretty vulnerable coming out of the. Uh, um, uh, the English setup, and he's mentioned that in, in a couple of things lately. But uh, he, his mindset is, is a coach. It was a, it was a, you know, an academy coach first and foremost. It was developing players. His the thing that sets him tick is, is developing players. I mean, he's spent a long time, seven, six or seven years in in Leinster. Um, it's about time for him, I suppose, to go back to the to the top job, to the number one job again. Um, though he'll have it, he'll have it difficult because he's been able to work pretty much under the radar. I think Leo Cullen has done an extraordinary job. So, like if Leo still is still there, and I think it becomes very important that he is uh, signed on to a longer contract. That if he is there, I think you can manage whoever else you bring in, provided that they're the right person with the right fit. So, there's a particular attitude that Leinster are looking for, and which is heightening skills all the time. Um, a huge amount of personal development and leadership work, which Lancaster did. He's got it's a big hole to fill. Yeah. So, but that's, and that's a big search, big search criteria to go and find a new coach. The the Leo point, I think, is is kind of a little bit understated in all this. Um, so, there's a new chief executive coming in from Google to Leinster to replace Mick Dawson. I think he doesn't start until next month or, or certainly uh, later in, in Q4, as they would say. Uh, Leo's on a rolling contract. And I can see if you're Leo, you want to wait and see exactly what the new chief executive is like. You, you want to size him up from a professional perspective and go, I can work with this guy long term. Um, but at the same time, if I'm the new CEO, I'm coming in and going, I want Leo Cullen. I absolutely want Leo Cullen to be a bridge for now and into the future. And whatever job Leo wants in Leinster Rugby, he should be offered and given. So it's a big, big moment here. It's a big decision for the new chief executive to get right. Well, you know, whoever comes in as, as CEO in any organization, uh, in any sporting organization, they could be big fans of the sport, but they may not know the awkwardness of being a CEO of a sporting franchise. And um, uh, you need to have the rugby institutional memory. And that's what Leo has, but he has leadership as well. And look, I still think that. He was under a lot of pressure himself when he came into the job. I think he's done an extraordinary job. And I think they would have liked to have won a couple of trophies last year and the year before. Um, but notwithstanding that, he has kept Leinster at the at the top of the tree uh, by shielding a huge amount of pressure off his, his, his coach, um, by manoeuvring, I think, a huge amount with Guy Easterby for their recruitment. I think they've done incredibly well. So... If, if I was the new CEO coming in, it's the first contract you'd be signing up. It'll cost him, I'd say, but um, no harm in that either. Yeah. Okay. Keep good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Brilliant. Cheers, ads. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.